Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, host and creator of the Right Fit Method, the key to professional and personal success. Now, let's join Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. In uncertain times, it is especially important to implement my Right Fit Method which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. Today, I am going to focus on how to implement my Right Fit Method in your personal life. Have you ever wondered why your search for the Right Fit spouse, the Right Fit house, and even the Right Fit children has not worked? I know why. What's amazing is that if we search for the best and find the best, we frequently select wrong fits. Perhaps you are perplexed. Picture a barrel of rotten apples that is rat-infested. If you compare and contrast and select one, what do you have? A rotten apple. If the person you pick to marry is one of those rotten apples, you have picked the wrong fit. You must search for the right fit. The question is how to find the right fit. To do that, you need to create a blueprint of the right fit for the spouse, house, children, and for whatever else you are searching including your pets. Stay tuned and change your life. The right fit method gets personal. What is your personal assumptions quotient? I will demonstrate how my right fit method gets personal and disclose when erroneous assumptions about our personal lives can be detrimental to achieving and maintaining happiness. During the show, you can take my personal assumptions quotient quiz to find out what assumptions you should not be making and why. With my guest co-host, Virgil Holder, Director of Corporate Recruitment at the prestigious Piedmont Healthcare System in Atlanta, Georgia, I will share fascinating stories about the impact of making erroneous assumptions in our personal lives. I will respond to callers' questions demonstrating how the right fit method 
The subject of my book, Win Without Competing, is the key to figuring out the right solutions, not only in your professional life, but also in your personal life. Welcome to Win Without Competing, Virgil. Well, thank you, Arlene. It's a pleasure to be here with you this evening. I am so delighted that you are my co-host today. On to the personal assumptions quotient quiz. Please take a piece of paper and write the numbers 1 to 10 so that you can jot down your response next to each number. Write T if the statement is true and F if the statement is false. Ready? Number one, finding the right fit mates requires dating a wide array of people, comparing and contrasting them until we figure out who is the best. Question two, relationships that were right fits which have gone sour should be ended quickly to avoid prolonging the pain. Question three, people who are divorced will definitely marry the same kind of person again. Question four, balancing our professional and personal life requires that we sharply differentiate one from the other. Question five, the key to finding happiness is spending time with other people who are happy. Question six, as we get older, we become wiser and make less wrong choices. Question seven, creativity is inherited and nurtured in childhood. Question eight, speaking up and expressing how we feel could result in rejection, so we should do so infrequently. Question nine, if we are dissatisfied with our physical appearance, we should accept it and focus on other things in our life that make us happy. Question 10, we must meet the expectations of family and friends to avoid disappointing them. Hold on to your responses. After Virgil and I talk with our call-in guests, I will give you the answers and we will explain further. Today, we have three call-in guests, Todd, Ryan, and Tony. All three had blueprints of right fits, found right fits, and fixed the fits. If you're wondering why they fixed the fits, if they were right fits, you will learn why shortly. My first guest, Todd, a financial executive, is the managing director of operations at a Chicago-based financial services firm. 
Welcome to Win Without Competing, Todd. Well, hello, Dr. Arlene and Virgil. How are you? We're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. You and your wife, Molly, adopted two children from Korea. Why was adoption the right fit for you and for Molly? Well, it it wasn't at first. When we started trying to have children of our own and realized we couldn't, for a long time, actually a period of several years, we thought we would just be a couple, and we built our life around just being a couple. Then we realized as time passed that something was missing in our life, so we went back to the idea of wanting a family and examined our options. That point, adoption was our only option. But first, we couldn't adopt because of the criteria in the adoption world. Several years after that, the criteria changed and we were able to adopt, so we charged ahead with it and never looked back or regretted doing it. Todd, how old were you and how old was Molly when you adopted your first child? We were actually in our mid-30s. That was after a number of years of thinking we were just going to be a couple. So that's when we went back to the adoption idea, when we read an article telling us that the criteria for adopting had changed. What were you missing that made it difficult initially to adopt? Was it the age factor? What was it? Well, the adoption world was slow to embrace where the modern society was. They still had this idea of living in a little white house with a white picket fence. Mom stays home and tends to the children and the pets. Dad goes to the office. What they took them a while to catch up with was the idea that people didn't always own their houses. Sometimes they rented. Sometimes they didn't even live in houses. They lived in lofts or apartments or condos. And in today's world, it's very, very common for both husband and wife to work. So their blueprint didn't match your blueprint initially. It it didn't. And because the agency had to approve us for adoption, it left us in a situation of thinking, okay, adoption's not going to work. So maybe back to the idea of it's just the two of us for the rest of our life. But then you suddenly realized that adoption would work. Did you have to go outside the country to get the fit with the adoption agency? Um, Domestic is definitely a very viable option. We felt much more comfortable with going international. Now, why international, and why Korea? Well, it was our feelings about the domestic adoption process that I think pushed us toward going international. To us, with the birth mother selecting the family, it it felt like a popularity contest. And, I mean, that was our impressions of it. Uh, We know many people who've gone through the process and been very happy with it. So that pushed us in the direction of going international. The why Korea part is 
I personally had an interest in Asia and China. We'd lived for years with Korean neighbors long enough for me to become very curious and very fascinated with their culture. In my mind, narrowing it down to China or Korea, the decision was already made. It took Molly a little bit longer to warm up to the idea. So she had reservations then about uh, adopting from Korea. And she had concerns about going to Asia in general. In, in my mind, I just couldn't wait. That, that was where I wanted to go. When we looked at the situation with adopting from China and adopting from Korea, it sealed it for me. I knew I wanted to go to Korea. Okay. Why, so ultimately, why was it Korea? A couple of things. Adopting from China would be just girls only. We very much liked the ability to get boys and girls. That was an option from Korea. The Korean adoption process was actually faster. It was an easier process to get through. Uh, I like that. Combine that with my growing interest in the culture because of the neighbors that we've had for so many years that I knew right then I wanted to go to Korea. Okay. So you selected Korea and you found an adoption agency that was pleased with you and Molly then, Todd? I don't I don't know if I quite call it pleased. We we met the criteria. Okay. Because, uh the agency sets criteria based on age, health, marital status, as do the countries. The countries all have slightly different criteria, too. Going through an international adoption is a more of a, almost a bureaucratic approval process. If, at each step of the way, if you meet the criteria and go through the process, you will arrive at the end and get the result you want. So they had their blueprint, and it didn't involve meeting you personally. Am I correct? Only the agency at home here who had to meet with us and approve us in person. The ah. agency overseas only saw us as people, names on paper. Ah, oh, so they did, they did evaluate you in person in this country before you left for Korea. Yes. They did, and that is more just looking to make sure that they haven't missed anything as far as lifestyle or they, they're trying to screen for anybody who wouldn't be a suitable parent. It, it's less about liking us and more about screening out people who wouldn't be suitable as parents. Okay. Now, you adopted two children. Is there a reason why you made two trips to adopt each of the children rather than making one trip and adopting two at the same time? Most of the time, the agencies will not let you adopt more than one child unless there's some special circumstance, perhaps siblings or twins available at the same time. Okay. So now when you went to Korea... How did it go in terms of an adopting the first child, your son, who's now how old, Todd? He's coming up on 10 here. Wonderful. So now what happened? How did it all work out when you got there? I would have to say, thinking about it 
at first it felt intimidating to go halfway around the world. It turned out to be as easy as making plans to go to Florida or California for vacation. Getting there was very easy. It was had no trouble at all making reservations, figuring out where in the city to book a hotel. It left all the driving to the local cabbies. So everything went smoothly. Well, we we had a rather strange occurrence when we were trying to pick up my son. Tell us about that. We were riding along in the cab to go pick him up. I remember looking out the window and up on the hill was a Swiss Grand Hotel. So I leaned over to my wife, Molly, and said, Oh, look, hon, they have a Swiss Grand Hotel here. So we were commenting on that as the cab drove up the hill and pulled up in front of the Swiss Grand Hotel. So here we are, shocked and surprised, and said, well, this isn't where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be at the adoption agency because today's the day we're picking up our son. Big ah. discussion between the driver and the doorman trying to figure out what had gone wrong. So they figured out that they were supposed to be across town, told us it would be an hour to get there. And we said, oh, please hurry. They called the agency. It was toward the end of the day. After some rather white-knuckle driving, we got to the agency in what I consider record time, 35, 40 minutes. The social worker, the foster mother had waited. Uh, They were some of the only people left. We successfully picked up our son. On the way over there. Yes. How How did you and Molly feel? I I was confident that things would work out. I wasn't worried. But Molly was very worried, and I remember telling her that they wouldn't stick him in a basket, put a bow on it and a little note saying, good luck, best wishes, and put him out in the curb. I said, it'll be fine. But uh, she was a natural mother, very concerned, worried that things wouldn't be fine. Yeah, in other words, that they wouldn't wait for you in terms of giving you the baby. But then how did you feel when you finally had him in your arms? It really was a bittersweet experience. We were thrilled, excited, overjoyed to be picking up our son, but at the same time looking at the foster mother and a social worker standing there crying because here's this little baby who's leaving. They're not likely to ever see him again. Um, I had this sense of, gosh, we're ripping him away from everything he knows, his country, his culture, his language. So I was excited and crying at the same time. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just very emotional. So you had a lot of empathy for him. Oh, sure, absolutely. How old was he? He was five and a half months old at the time. Okay. Now, Going forward, you brought him back to the States, and then when he was two or three years old, what happened when he looked in the mirror? Well, he was noticing that things were different, only we weren't picking up on it at first. With his very limited vocabulary, he started saying, my can't like you, to my wife, Molly. She was very upset by that, and I kept saying, something is driving this. He's experiencing something. Let's try to figure it out and get to the bottom of it. We kept probing, 
asking questions. Finally, one day, he said, my difference. And then for us, the light bulb just went on. Okay, he recognizes he's different from us, and he's thinking, well, maybe I don't fit. Maybe they can't love me. That was finally the breakthrough where we could bridge the gap and help him understand that that's not the case at all. I think it's amazing. Uh, He was three or two, Todd, when this occurred? Uh, He was three, about three, three and a half. All right. I mean, he really was very aware, don't you think, and very sensitive. Well, I realized after I became a parent just how aware children are from a very young age. They're little sponges that just soak in everything around them. Well, also, too, didn't you do something so that he started to feel comfortable? We got help from the preschool. They'd come up with this very large book that was illustrated by young children, and it was, we're all alike, we're all different. So each page was a picture of two different children, and it would point out similarities and differences. We all have two eyes. Some eyes are blue, some eyes are brown. We all have noses. Some noses are big, some are small. And we'd go through every part of the body, skin, hair, height, and say, well, look, we're all the same, but we're all different in ways, too. So that was the way in which you helped him overcome his concerns. It was. When you you adopted your second child, a little girl, did she go through the same awareness as your son? Oh, she was definitely very aware, but she never had the same concerns about not being liked. I think what helped was that she came into a family where there was a brother that looked like her. It's only more recently that she's been asking about it. Ah, so she started to ask about it, and she's now how old? She'll be eight next month. And so she's asking why she's looking different. She did. In fact, she was asking again just a couple days ago because they're studying about Martin Luther King with the holiday coming up. So she was saying, "Um, well, my skin's dark. I'm kind of tan. Would I be considered black? I said, well, no, you're not African-American. You're Asian. So she said, well, am I white? Well, no, you're not white either. You're Asian. So she's asking now and trying to make sense of it because they're studying all about social rights and what who Martin Luther King was. Does she not have any Asian children in her class, Todd? We have a pretty good mix of Asian people in our neighborhood. We're very happy that they're uh, it's about 15% Asian. Most of that's Korean. So there are Asian children in every class. So maybe she just needs to become um, more aware. I'm not sure if it's aware or if she's just trying to understand the social labels that this person is black or African-American, this other person is Hispanic, the third person over there is Asian. What does that all mean? 
Do you think this is the first time she's become aware of it? No, I think she is aware. We've tried to always point out that they were Asian and that they should be proud of their history, their heritage. We didn't want them to grow up uh, thinking that they were something different than what they were. Okay, all right. Did you have any hurdles to overcome with Molly at all during this uh, adoption of the two children or the raising of them? Well, initially, when I suggested Korea or China, Molly wasn't sure about that and had a few strong comments about that before she warmed up to the idea. She basically had said, no way in H-E double hockey sticks am I getting on an airplane to go to Asia because I'm not sure I want to go to Asia. When we decided to go, then she couldn't wait for the airplane to take off. Okay, but then... She she went, you adopted two children, but then when you brought them home and started to raise them, were there issues between you that resulted from the adoption process so that you needed to work on your marriage? It was, uh, adoption is really a zero to 60 fast start into parenting. It's right up until the moment they hand the child to you, there's nothing about your life that you have to change in any way. I think people who go through a pregnancy begin to modify their lifestyle as the pregnancy progresses. So they're already beginning to slowly ease into a different lifestyle. They change diets and avoid certain foods and beverages and activities, certain activities are no longer appropriate. For us, it was just a very sudden jolt to realize that, okay, we're parents, we have these uh, responsibilities, children do not come with manuals, and we had to feel our way through a lot of it. Simple little things like knowing, okay, they're running a little bit of a fever. Should I call the doctor? Should I wait it out? It, It took a while to get a sense of, when to call the doctor, when to ask for help, or when to just wait and let things progress. All right. But then you and Molly worked things out together. We did, and we kept in close touch, close communication. I think it was probably hardest on her because I was working very long hours at that time, and she definitely did have to pick up the lion's share of the load. All right. Uh, Todd, I'm going to ask Virgil if he has a question before we uh, chat with our second guest. Uh, Virgil, did you have a question for Todd? Well, um, I have a a comment, really, I guess, that maybe we could talk about. I did appreciate that Todd and his wife, Molly, when they were thinking about their right-fit family, you know, certainly a right-fit family is only husband and wife are only two partners in many cases, but for them the right fit did include children, and so they sought to, to find that right fit. And that really um, that um, is really sort of the case with me too, because um, uh, Todd, I've actually adopted my son. Um, he was uh, my wife's biological son, so I didn't have to go through all the same hurdles that you and Molly had to go through, but uh, 
still, it was a big change, and I, I experienced some of the same things you did in all of a sudden becoming a father. But, um, you know, also I appreciated it with your kids. What I've seen with children, would you say, Todd, that when they're talking about am I black or am I white, do you think they're really thinking mainly about actual color? Not They're not talking about race, I don't think. What do you think, Todd? I think it starts with color, mm-hmm. and then what comes along with that is, oh, there's certain things, foods and customs and clothing that people from different social groups have. Mm-hmm. And schools tend to emphasize that because they're very busy right now talking about the 1960s and Martin Luther King and the riding the bus and not giving up your seat because you were black and the mm-hmm. first girls to go to a white school. Yeah, I have a friend with two who had two kids who, and these were very smart children, uh, and of course they were growing up with very smart parents at the same time too, and these kids refused to use the word white and the word black because they decided, they were about the age of, of your daughter, they decided that that wasn't a correct description because white people were not white, they actually were pink. And so they would speak of pink people, and instead of speaking of black people, they spoke of brown people. So instead of white and black, these kids thought people were pink and brown, and they were insistent on calling people pink and brown. So whenever we were around them, we had to use those terms too. Uh, That's very interesting. I'm thinking about your comment about brown people, and I worked with somebody who was from India, and mm-hmm. he always described himself as being a brown person. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting. Everyone uses it a little differently. Yes. yes. Well, Todd, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And, uh, Virgil, I'd like you later on in the show to talk more about the adoption of your son after you married Amy. Certainly. I'd love to. Great. Thank you so much, Todd, for sharing your wonderful story. Thank you, Dr. Arlene and Virgil. Thank you, Todd. Welcome to Win Without Competing. Ryan? Good evening, Dr. Arlene and Virgil. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Um, I must tell you that I am so delighted that... You were recently appointed president of Eureka Review, a firm dedicated to preparing high school students on how to maximize their success on the SATs. Well, thank you very much. I I very much appreciate it. And I know you actually featured in your book, When Without Competing, uh, the founder of Eureka Review, and we always uh, cherish that as well. So, So thank you. Absolutely. For those who have my book, it would be the story of Jason Marino, a story that is unforgettable. And the listeners can also read part of it on my Win Without Competing website as well. Ryan, you are engaged to Kat. How did Kat match your blueprint of the right fit woman? Well, 
Uh, I guess like so many things, uh, you start realizing uh, more and more what a right fit uh, your partner is. When I first met her, in full disclosure, of course, at first there was uh, an attraction, both in, of course, uh, physical attraction, but in personality. We hit it off in conversation, and I think at first you're thinking along the lines of, you know, just the fact that that interaction is going so well, and you're hoping maybe to see this person again. Uh, But over time I realized that with each meeting and with all the hours we spent together, I did see more and more that this person was really the right match for me. Yet, you had concerns and Kat had concerns. What were your concerns and what were her concerns? Well, uh, Kat's background, her family background, is that her family is from Israel originally. She was born here in America, but she certainly was raised with Israeli and, and therefore Jewish roots, whereas my family was Roman Catholic in background, and while I myself had kind of pulled away a little bit from the church in my years, uh, I still definitely struggled with the idea of of identifying with one religion or another. And for a long time, it didn't matter what our backgrounds were, but certainly uh, when exploring marriage and starting to think about long-term and hopefully eventually raising children ourselves, the idea of your cultural identity, I think, comes into play. So that began uh, to be something we needed to talk about and explore. So what were your thoughts in terms of what you were going to do or thinking about doing? Well, I knew from early on in our relationship that in her mind, and I appreciate that you begin the program talking about the idea of a right fit versus a best fit, and and so many, I think, of us think about best fits first, and I believe in Kat's mind a best fit would have been someone with a Jewish background, someone who was raised Jewish. I didn't necessarily have a best fit in terms of any religious identity, but I understood that it was important to her. So I knew that I wouldn't convert simply for the sake of a marriage or or just to please a partner because I do take seriously what religion or faith anybody follows, and I wouldn't want to trivialize that for anyone else or myself. So rather than simply jump right into the idea of conversion, we instead started to explore it gradually. I realized that all of the time when I was gathering with her family, as I got to know her parents who were quite welcoming, oftentimes we were breaking bread over and during Jewish holidays. And I enjoyed those times, and I enjoyed the family bonding that happened. So I began exploring the idea of conversion through the American Jewish University, which is uh, right in West L.A. And it's something that I'm fortunate, I believe, I took a class, and and they took it both from a religious background but also from a historical background. They explore where sometimes things don't completely add up so that you get a sense for the history and the ideas behind these different cultures and and the different reports. And as I was reading along in the studies and learning from this uh, professor, uh, Rabbi Neil Weinberg was my professor, I really enjoyed the way he approached it, and I found myself feeling drawn more and more to the idea of conversion, uh, I believe as Kat found it less and less important that I do. I think the fact that I took the steps to explore was making her realize it might not matter. She felt strongly about me. And as I was exploring it, I realized that to me it mattered not just for her but for me. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, it's, it's, it's terrific because you didn't, 
you have converted and you didn't do it for her and i think and that i think that's terrific i i agree and and i feel better about it because i do know it's something that is for me and it's something that hopefully does enhance our relationship and makes us feel a little bit better for when we have children and and hopefully some of the traditions will pass on but it's not something where i'm ever going to feel or or hold her accountable for the fact that i did this for you you know i did it for me uh, so i think it it's something that we both feel comfortable with that uh she would have agreed to marry you if you had not converted do you think <laughs> that, that she had accepted that you were catholic before the conversion uh, well, you know, I'm glad that when I asked, I, I had converted. That's how I got yeah, Well, that yes. I know, yes. Because I got a yes, but, you know, I do feel that she was, I think, feeling more and more drawn to the right fit for her. You know, I, I think that, you know, the idea of someone being Jewish was maybe what she entered this relationship or would have entered any relationship with. But, you know, I think in the end, hopefully, she fell in love with me for all of the things that made me who I am. And, and you know, some of that was the obviously my background and, and being raised non-Jewish. Of course, there's some cultural things that will trickle down accordingly, and I think it became less important to her as long as I understood and respected the importance of her religion and her culture to her. And I'm glad that I can celebrate alongside her, but I'm not sure it would have been necessary at that point. At the time that you were going through the conversion process, did you ever say to yourself, is this the right thing for me to do? You know, I, of course, there's going to always be, I think, moments where you you wrestle. For me, it was the idea of coming to terms with what I understood for being religion. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I was raised Roman Catholic, but I actually stepped away from the religion even before my confirmation because I personally... Uh, despite the fact that I enjoyed so much of the religion, I simply wrestled with the idea of being born into a faith. Uh, just for me, intellectually, it was hard for me to rationalize that it would just be assumed you pick up the faith of, of your family or your parents. So I myself kind of took a step away and, and probably started leaning more towards simply being agnostic, you know, not feeling I'm capable of exploring my beliefs in that regard. Uh, but as it turns out, I, I just wasn't in the right fit for me because exploring Judaism, and as I got to know it more, and the approach that was taken and the way I learned the religion actually made me feel as though I was exploring and really coming to terms with how it matches my beliefs, those that I had, you know, hopefully kind of innate, those that were maybe passed on to me, just values from my parents, regardless of their religious origination, and it's something I felt really good about, and I was surprised. I certainly was. Now, your parents, how did they feel when they knew you were going to convert? Because I know you're an only child. I am. So I think along the way they were incredibly supportive. Both my mother and father said that the thing they want more than anything is my happiness and that I'm, I'm doing things that make me happy. Uh, I do feel that once it actually came to the point where it was time to go through with the actual conversion, there was a period for my father in particular where I think he just really wanted to make sure I was doing it for the right reason. And as you mentioned, being an only child, I represent, I guess, in that traditional, you know, old-fashioned sense, the last of the line. I'm the last of the kicks. You know, my father, I think, saw that with my decision, 
his family line, you know, going forward, the religion is going to change that's passed on. Uh, you know, rather than having uh, children still within the Roman Catholic Church, my children will be Jewish. And that's a shift now for, I think, you know, his generation, for his legacy. And I think that's something that took a moment for him. And we had a little conversation about it. And I think once I, I told him how I felt about it and why I was doing what I was doing, he, he then again supported me wholeheartedly, and which is something I appreciate. And I understood his reservations. And, and quite honestly, I would welcome if down the road, you know, my own children end up having uh, you know, debate or considerations for themselves. Uh, you know, I, I would understand and support that. So, so in essence, you had to you fixed the fit with Cat. You also fixed the fit with your dad. Yeah, and yeah. probably, and I, I think I fixed the fit with me. You know, I had not really had religion as part of my daily or weekly activities, if you will, my considerations. I didn't know that that was a loss for me until I started realizing what I've kind of gained in the interim. So for me, it, it turns out I think I, I fixed a lot of things at once, and I appreciate that, the opportunity I was given, again, by Kat. You know, so much she brought into my life, and I, I'm, I feel very fortunate. Now, there was another thing, too, that I know you had mentioned to me that you were concerned about when you first met Kat, and that was um, the age difference. Absolutely, absolutely. That was a cause for, I don't know, concern, but it gave me pause. Uh, Kat is a little younger than I am. She's five years younger when we met, between five and six, depending on the time of year, because of my birthday coming up uh, before hers. So when we met, she was 18 and I was 23. So while I immediately hit it off with her and I enjoyed my time spent talking with her and getting to know her because we met through a mutual friend, you know, I had initially found that I, I I wasn't sure if that was something I wanted to do. I had graduated college recently. She was beginning college. And I felt like we were probably in two different portions of our lives. And I didn't want to interrupt what I think is a great part of your growth, which is going away to college and, you know, having some freedoms for yourself. And uh, so I definitely thought twice about it. But, you know, I think we both found each other keep uh, we kept coming back to each other. We kept interacting with each other whenever the opportunity was given. And, uh, you know, eventually we, we decided to try and give it a shot. And we're now six years later this February. So Wonderful. And when are you getting married, Todd? Oh, I mean, well, Brian. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, we'll be getting married this August. We're getting married. Uh, so we're the clock is ticking, I'm realizing. In fact, I think Kat met with a florist earlier today. So I think another oh, bill good. got put on. So we're, we're definitely moving along. That's terrific. So now, uh, Virgil, uh, do you have an interesting question to pose to Ryan? Uh, yes, Ryan. I was just wondering, and this is a fa- you have a fascinating story, because I do have a lot of friends who, where one spouse is Catholic and one is Jewish, but they, and they have very successful marriages, but, me, but none of these couples really are very religious at all. They, they have that background, but religion doesn't seem to be that important to them. But yet I see that they have, they both come, you know, the Catholic religion and the Jewish religion are both very traditional. They both have rituals and more, you know, ritualistic type services. And so there's a similar background there. And, of course, they're two different religions, but... 
But I think it's, it's fascinating to me that you did find that the Jewish religion was the right fit for you. So that makes you a little different than the folks that I am familiar with. But I do have a question. Absolutely. When you, before you met Kant, had you in your mind really thought about what is the blueprint of the right fit partner for me? Now, I know eventually you found Kat, and she is right, but had you thought about it, and is that why Kat began to appear right, because she was meeting these aspects of the blueprint? You know, I think that chances are the blueprint I would have answered if, if asked then probably you know would have stuck to what I would consider more of the superficial values we probably think of when thinking of a partner, mm. and, and meaning, you know, tall versus short, blonde versus brunette, uh, what type of career that person has, what their hobbies would be, the things that I think at face value always seem to be so important to a relationship until you're actually in a relationship and you realize that, of course, having some common interests and things like that are important, but so is the fact that we disagree on a lot of things and we explore that. And, you know, as it mm-hmm. turns out, it, it doesn't matter or, I, I, you know, I don't even consider what would have been previous you know, quote-unquote standards or, or a blueprint, as it turns out, the things that matter to me are, are not what I would have said ahead mm. of time. You know, they're the things that, you know, make me happy now. The, it's often, you know, it sounds cliche and you see it in movies, but it's the little things, you know, the yeah. you remember those little moments, a certain laugh or look, the fact that you can count on each other to both, you know, kind of connect even in a party when we're part of different conversations. So, you know, it oh. turns out that the the blueprint is something I can talk about now. I wish I knew how to describe it beforehand. It probably would have saved me some aggravation along the way. But I think that's good, though. I mean, because I think that I think that's a similar experience a lot of people have, especially when they're in their early twenties. They're sort of really determining. They just don't know what the blueprint is yet, because maybe they're not really sure even about themselves about what the blueprint is. For, you know, they're not sure what they, as a person, really see as that important. I know for myself, I didn't marry till I was in my early 30s. And believe me, by the early 30s, you know what the blueprint is. <laughs> so. You know, I think a lot of it is, and it's a great question and idea, a lot of it is probably, for me, because I didn't put enough thought into creating a blueprint, it's not trying to think of only that blueprint. Mm. I, I'm sure a lot of people probably don't take you know, that little leap of faith or that next step because they're not meeting, their, this potential partner is not meeting these you know, little brief outlines they've created for themselves when, in fact, they might not have really fully understood what would make them happy or what that blueprint should be in the first place. So maybe mm-hmm. I was fortunate to not have created too much of an idea of what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's but probably- I think, Ryan, that you had to have had, and maybe it wasn't overtly obvious, in other words, that you didn't uh, take a piece of paper necessarily and write everything down, but internally, she had to have matched something, or you wouldn't have continued to develop the relationship. Oh, absolutely. Especially when, as we're talking tonight, there were these potential pitfalls or speed bumps, if you will, with the religion, with the age at first. It, there was certainly something underneath that you know maybe I couldn't have put my finger on at the time that definitely made this such a right fit relationship for Kat and I. 
Uh, well, I mean, for example, you both apparently really enjoy tradition. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we both enjoy having tradition and shared experiences, and I think we're hoping to pass that on. You know, I think so much of it was finding out that we both had experiences like that. They were just born out of different things. You know, some of the things that she talked about as tradition she hopes to pass on were different than the ones I had, but they were all seated in the basic idea of these communal experiences between friends and family, things that gave us reason to celebrate regardless of circumstance sometimes. And, you know, we realized that we could create that through a combination of uh, the religion, but also just in having this common viewpoint on you know, things that you can create your own personal and family traditions on your own. So uh, it's really been really neat for me and a joyous experience to really see how that all works out. You know, it's hard to see it coming, but now that it's happened, uh, it's really, to me, quite astounding. It's probably boring for people not part of the relationship, but for me it's it's really, really quite nice. Well, you know, I also Ryan. think, too, when you talk about values, that probably when people create blueprints, I'm not sure if they necessarily always incorporate values. And I have a feeling that that's an important component of what you share in common. Absolutely. I think that's the most important thing. You know, there's some other things we don't share. Uh, You know, if you had Kat on the line, I'm sure, you know, bringing up uh, my taking care of the right amount of household tasks and uh, different things like that, there'd be differences, but it, those are just those superficial things. But when it comes down to uh, hopefully the core of what makes us who we are and the things that we care about, that's what's really resonated between the two of us. Well, wonderful. Well, I want to thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us today. And uh, I think you've really helped our listeners understand how, again, a fit can be fixed. Thank you, both of you. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you, Ryan. My third guest is Tony from Los Angeles, the owner of a web design firm, Tony on the Web, known for its creativity. Welcome to Win Without Competing, Tony. Thank you, Dr. Arlene, and um, good evening to you and to Virgil. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. You fell in love with a priest. When and how did you meet him? Well, um, we actually met um, on a beach. It was uh, it was in August. It was late summer, and uh, the design firm that I was working at at the time um, did half day Fridays during the summer, and and I decided to go to the beach, and and we met there. What was your blueprint of the right fit partner, and how did he match? Well, maybe I can go back just just maybe a couple of steps. I had recently been in a relationship, and it had lasted for um, probably, it was actually four and a half years, and and it was not a good relationship. It, just, it, it ended badly, and there were a lot of hurt feelings. Um, and so I did have a very short blueprint that I was following um, moving forward um, in, in, in the search for a new relationship. And, uh, and that list was I, needed, I wanted to be with a partner that was, had little to no drama, was smart, um, was generous of heart and spirit, 
and had a great sense of humor, someone that would make me laugh. And, uh, and that's, that was the criteria that I was kind of looking for. When you met Patrick, what did you think? When I met Patrick, what did I think? I thought he was a cute guy, actually. <laughs> That's right. the first thing that I thought. He has a very, uh, very blue eyes and very silver hair, and, and it was, uh, you know, he was, he's such a very attractive, you know, person on the outside. And then after I had the chance to speak with him um, there um, at our first meeting, um, he was all of those things. He, I, you know, right away I saw all of the criteria that I was looking for. He was funny and uh, and smart. He had just uh, completed a uh, a master's degree program um, at USC actually that day. So he was actually taking the day off um, and spending it at the beach. And uh, and like I said, he made me laugh. And he was very very kind. Very kind person. Did he tell you initially when you started talking that he was a priest? No, he did no. not tell me. He ah. did not tell me. And uh, he did not tell me on that first meeting. And, and we did exchange phone numbers to, to perhaps get together in the future. And, and it was just, you know, as light as that. Well, maybe we can... Um, go see a movie. But it really, there was no, like, overt, you know, uh, kind of movement into, like, a relation, you know, a dating scenario. Right, right. Like, hey, you're, you're a nice person. Um, I'd like to get to know you better. He did, in fact, tell me, uh, w- what's really interesting, when I left the beach that day, I was actually there with a friend, and I said, you know, that guy reminds me of Father Paul, who was, the principal of my grade school growing up without even knowing that he was a priest, that he had, you know, a kind and gentle spirit the way priests do. Um, so I, I, I kind of already had a feeling, because I did grow up Roman Catholic as well, and I already, I guess I just sensed that spirituality about him, and, um, but he did uh, tell me on our second meeting how did he broach it on the second meeting? He, he, well, we were getting to know each other, and, and as the evening was progressing, there, there was a chemistry between the two of us, and, and he told me. He said, I'm a priest. And you said, I you must said, be kidding? Uh, no, he, he said, I, know, have, I mean, did I'll, you say to him, do you must be kidding? Oh, no. Well, actually, he said, I have to tell you something. And I said, what? Are you a spy? <laughs> you know, ah, are you a okay. And he goes, no, I'm a priest. And I, and I said, like, like a Catholic, like a priest priest? It really, you know, it didn't, I mean, it's, it's, it's an odd thing. I mean, it's also, it's, it is. It's a, you were shocked. Well, it's, it's private. It's personal. It's not, so, I mean, when you, people don't say, you know, hello, I'm a priest. <laughs> you, know, nor, you, know, it, it, you know, I mean, we were in the beach, so we were just, you know, in beach attire. Right. He wasn't wearing a collar. So, I mean, it's not, you know, when you see a priest on the street, you know he's a priest by his mode of dress. So uh, that, it, I mean, obviously there was a little, he wasn't being completely honest, but he, you know, but he was not, he wasn't lying about it. 
Um, he, just he just was trying to it. find the right po- time. He just didn't mention it, and then he was looking for the right time to mention it. So, well, isn't it analogous to me to uh, going out with someone who's married who just doesn't mention it the first time you meet it them? It sure is. Right, that's what I think. It's exactly isn't the it? same you, thing. You are absolutely right, and and uh, and I thought, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. At first, I, I thought I, I I thought it was novel. But within like a couple of dates, it was as if I was going back into the closet because ah. it was we were going to have. I mean, if 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 he had remained a priest, we would have had to, you know, meet in secret. It would have been a secret, and and that's not the type of life that I had envisioned for myself, and. Uh, and so I, I told him he needed to figure out what, you know, what had happened is he actually had finished, he went on, to, he, was, he was already on track to pursue a Ph.D. program in, in, um, in a different state. So we really only had a couple of weeks before he, he moved. And, uh, and then the relationship was only by phone and email. And, and it was a lot of um, soul searching and deciding what he was going to do. Um, and if there was going to be a future in this relationship. <clears throat> How long did it take him to figure out what he wanted to do, and did you really believe that he would leave the priesthood for you? He, he decided right away. Oh. He decided right away. And, and, and honestly... I don't believe he left the priesthood for me. I believe that he would have left the priesthood, but this, but there aren't perfect fits standing on every corner. Right. But when you find one, you really need to, you know, you need to jump on the opportunity. And he recognized it, and he didn't, and he didn't want to have a life of regret, and uh, he decided right away. And and he was um, true to his word. He did everything he said he was going to do. He he actually went into um, to therapy with a psychologist to 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 help him make sense of of his feelings and to help him uh, make the transition out of priesthood and 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 you know take a leave of, leave of absence from the church and. And take the, you know, he also, you know, came from a very um, devout Roman Catholic Irish family from the Midwest, and there were family issues that that needed to be contended with. Um, you know, lots of uh, uh, feelings and emotions that people needed to work through with this type of, uh, tr- you know, situation. He had been um, in the priesthood for 18 years. It wasn't, you know, it was something that he had done and, and taken very seriously and was his life. And it was, it was um, how he related to his family um, all of his adult life, and, and it was a huge, huge change. Is there an age difference between the two of you, uh, Tony? There's a 10-year age difference. Oh, okay. 
I'm 10 years younger than he is. And that was a concern with his friends. They thought that I was a, you know, a fling. You know, a why fling. would he throw away? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I'm a pretty good-looking guy. But, but, but um, they felt that, that he was throwing away a lot for, for someone that could just be a very flighty person. But um, to his credit, he recognized my level of maturity, and, and, uh, and, it, and, and, it, and it has been 15 years now. In August, it'll be 15 years that we have been together. So I, he made a pretty good choice, I think. <laughs> well, then his friends, I guess, have to acknowledge that you weren't a fling. I mean, after all, I mean, unless they think of a fling as possibly lasting 15 years. Oh yeah, there there are a lot of there's a lot of million dollar bets that we should uh, collect on. Uh huh. <laughs> so, so now, um, so you've been living together for 15 years, and would you say that? You've had to fix the fit at all during this period of time. <clears throat> yes. All right. Yes. In what respects? Um, we've, you know, one very important component of a, a, a relationship, in my opinion, is is um, consideration and compassion for your partner, and I think sometimes that gets lost. Um, on both sides, with him making the transition into um, lay life, um, he had to find a job. He had to uh, establish a career. And he was competing with people that had already had 18-year track experience um, in their career. He started very late. Um, at the same time, I, over the last 15 years, have changed um, my career. I started a business um, eight years ago. Um, and, 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 you know, those types of, uh, you know, the business, and I know that this is a relationship show, but uh, the work life does have a tendency to, to um, encroach on the personal life and cause stress there. Well, that's why in terms of my shows for 2010, I'm going to do more focused on the personal side uh, implementing the right fit method, whereas in 2009 the focus was heavily on the professional side, and clearly there is an act interaction between the personal and, and professional. There's no question. So mm -hmm. then, as he was trying to figure out the right fit on the professional side, then that impacted your personal relationship. Am I correct, Tony? Sure. Sure, because uh, even a even a priest uh, tends to take bring some of that frustration home with them, <laughs> and and uh, and and sometimes I had to you know give him a wide berth and let him uh, let him vent, let him you know express that frustration and, and and allow him to grow and find find out where you know he was going to make his way and and he gave me that same. Um, compassion and consideration and, and it's funny going back to, to your guest Ryan and, and, and having those you know religious and cultural backgrounds um, I'll tell you although many of my friends are Jewish and I, and I feel that you know um, that those the two religions and the two cultures are very similar in in um, 
in family values and and um, and commitment to the partner. And I'll tell you, having ha- you don't realize uh, that being raised in a religious family, be it Jewish or Christian or any other religion, it, it, it really shapes your character um, until you've, in, in my personal experience, when I've been in relationships with people that don't have um, that background, because it is something that we've leaned on um, as a couple and as individuals um, throughout our relationship. So it's really been key. So now, do you have any suggestions at all for people who are trying to sort of balance the professional and the personal within the relationship? Advice. I I think it's important to share aspects of your business life with your partner so that they understand um, where you're coming from, um, so that, uh, you know, many times uh, Patrick and I will, you know, because I, I own my own business, so, you know, I work at home, so I'm always at work, um, and I try not to, to burden him with that, but many times we will strategize. I mean, he's, you know, he's someone that I confide in. He's, I consider him um, uh, one of my, uh, you know, a, a consultant, if you will, that I can bounce ideas off of, and he can help me solve uh, situations in, in my business life. I, I think that um, it wouldn't be fair to him if I left him completely out of that. I think it's, it's, actually, it's not burdening him with it, but it's actually sharing it with him. Um, I think that, that I, I would advise people to do that in their relationship. Um, and if you're the person on, on the receiving end or, or you know, the person that's listening to those uh, to those maybe those grievances or, 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 or challenges within the business that, that they have an open mind and an open heart and, and really try to um, offer constructive advice um, to help their partner with those challenges. Virgil, do you have one quick question before we conclude our conversation uh, well, with Tony? Yes, I have a quick one. I know our time is running short, but Tony, a question I always like to ask a couple that have been together a long time and and as we say in my in the, in the HR world, they have demonstrated success. Um, would you say that you and Patrick are the right fit because you're so much alike or because you're quite different yet complementary? Oh gosh, that is a good question, Virgil. I I think that we we have a lot of similarities, but we do have different ways of approaching the same um, challenge or problem. I I I I I'm very quick to act, um, and I have a very uh, my rhythm is very fast. If if you if you if you can understand what I mean by rhythm, like I I run very fast. I'm very high energy. Uh, Patrick is more reflective, and he takes his time when he's making decisions. Now, when we're trying to decide, like, what color to, to, to make the couch, um, <laughs> it can be frustrating from my side. But, um, but in other situations where I would have rushed in and made the wrong decision, his, uh, his temperament has, has helped to, uh, to temper my decisions and, and help to uh, 
for us to make the right decisions as a as a couple within our relationship. So I guess the latter. Um, I think, and I don't know what do you think, Arlene? Do most maybe most it's um in between. Well, I think well obviously each one had a blueprint because clearly Patrick would not have left the priesthood. Now I understand that you said he probably would have left at another point in time, but nevertheless, he left at the time that he met you and that you've been together for 15 years. So clearly there is a match, a match that has been everlasting and that you apparently have understood that he's needed to get himself adjusted in his professional life and have not had, I guess, difficulty with that, you know, allowing him to grow and to flourish. And also, mm-hmm. too, I think that you enjoy the fact that he's different from you in terms of being, you know, more slow in his, deli- you know, slowly, s- sort of in his deliberations, in his decisions. I think that you enjoy that about him. That's I do. my sense. Yeah, you enjoy that. Mm-hmm. So so I, I have a sense that in many respects you're similar, but then in the areas in which you're dissimilar that you both enjoy that dif- those differences. Or that's is, where we complement each other, that those differences that's right, are yeah. but I complementary. Think, yeah, in some cases people really get very annoyed with the other person's differences because they can't live with them. So that if somebody, for example, is very messy and they are very neat, it's very annoying to them. Yeah, well, those are deal breakers, though, don't you think? (laughs) Well, I don't know. People seem to live together and still complain. I mean, I know many people where one is neat and one is messy and they just complain for umpteen years, but they don't get a divorce over it. But in your situation, it sounds like you enjoy each other's differences. And in fact, it seems to me that his ability to deliberate seems to help you. And maybe Mm -hmm. it's a good thing for you. Because maybe sometimes you might want to move a little bit too fast. Sure. That's that's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, But it's also uh, going back to like those, you know, the dissimilarities or things that irritate each other. Uh, Patrick will make his coffee in the kitchen and leave the sugar packet on the counter instead of pivoting and putting it into the trash can, which would be like, you know, like a one-foot pivot. And, and it used to really bug me, but I thought, is this, is this, a, is this a relationship breaker? It really isn't. So, so now I just, I just consider it a charming thing that he doesn't turn and throw it in the wastebasket. So I just throw it in the wastebasket, and it's also become a little bit of a joke, um, those little irritating things. But I think that those small things, when they become big things, it's because there's underlying problems that, that those things kind of bring to the surface. Absolutely. I, I can't agree with you more. Well, I must say it has been a delightful conversation uh, thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Tony. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and thank you to you as well, Virgil. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. I want to thank Todd, Ryan, and Tony 
for sharing their thought-provoking stories to help us understand how to fix fits. It's now time to reveal the answers to the personal assumptions quotient quiz. I will read each question, give the correct response, and an explanation. At the end of the questions, I will then ask Virgil if he has any comments. Question one, finding the right fit mates requires dating a wide array of people, comparing and contrasting them until we figure out who is the best. From the three conversations that Virgil and I have had today, I hope that you've recognized that what we really want to do is to create a blueprint of the right fit and then find the person who matches that fit. So the response to that question one is false. Question two, relationships that were right fits which have gone sour should be ended quickly to avoid prolonging the pain. Again, if you have a right fit relationship and issues arrive, the goal is to try to fix the fit, not to abandon the relationship immediately. And all three of our guests have shown how they have fixed their fits. So the answer is false. Question three, people who are divorced will definitely marry the same kind of person again. Not necessarily. If we understand why it was the wrong fit and clearly decide, as Tony did, that he didn't want another wrong fit, we would then create the blueprint of the right fit and find the person to match that. So we don't need to marry another wrong person. Again, the answer is false. Question four. Balancing our professional and personal life requires that we sharply differentiate one from the other. Each person must decide what the right balance should be. In my conversation with Tony, he mentioned how the personal and the professional interact, that he uses his partner as his consultant in his web business. Now, that's clearly up to you. For some relationships, that works beautifully. But I don't think that anyone should be concerned that they must differentiate their professional from their personal life. In fact, from the interviews that I did all throughout 2009, uh, where I talked with highly successful people, almost in all situations, they did not differentiate their personal from their professional. They felt that one spilled into the other. So the answer is false. Question five. The key to finding happiness is spending time with other people who are happy. Clearly, it's a wonderful thing to spend time with other people who are happy, but we need to understand ourselves 
what we're searching for in whatever aspect of our life needs to be fixed, we have to figure out the right fits. Just spending time with happy people is not going to do it. We need to think about ourselves. Again, the answer is false. Question six, as we get older, we become wiser and make less wrong choices. Age and years of experience are not predictors of learning something. If you think of people who have worked for 20, 30, and 40 years, if you ask them what they've accomplished, some have a lot to say, others do not. The question is, what do we do with our time? And that's what we need to focus on. If we learn from the years that we're living and change our behavior accordingly, then we become wiser. If we do not learn from our mistakes, we do not become wiser. So the answer is false. Question seven, creativity is inherited and nurtured in childhood. I would say that I would rank this question as my number one favorite. And the reason for that is I believe that creativity for many is not understood. I wrote my doctoral dissertation on creativity. Creativity is composed of certain personality, characteristics, attitudes, and values. It's a combination of all three. Nurturing your, those specific abilities across all three areas in childhood is certainly very important and certainly helps to create someone who's creative. On the other hand, one can also modify certain behaviors in order to increase one's ability to be creative. I'm not happy when I hear people say, I'm not creative. And my question is, why not? So the answer is false. Speaking up and expressing how we feel could result in rejection, so we should do so infrequently. In order to find right fits and fix fits, we must speak up. If we internalize how we feel, there is no way we can figure out how to match another person. The answer is false. Question nine. If we are dissatisfied with our physical appearance, we should accept it and focus on other things in our life that make us happy. I would suggest, if anyone who is listening, who's dissatisfied with his or her physical appearance, for example, we may decide that we would look better 10 pounds thinner, fine, then I think we should take charge, manage the process, and take off the weight. Otherwise, we will be feeling unhappy if we don't recognize that we can do something about those things, about our physical appearance that we are not happy with. So the answer is false. Question 10. We must meet the expectations of family and friends to avoid disappointing them. 
think about it to yourself. Are we going to just focus on other people or are we going to focus on creating what I call the match or the exquisite fit? To be successful with our personal relationships, we need the fit. In order to have the fit, we can't just look at the other side. We have to focus on ourselves and we have to talk with the other person and figure out how we match our expectations and their expectations and change things accordingly. We would change and the other side would change. So the answer is false. Virgil, did you have anything that you would like to add about any of these erroneous assumptions before we close the show? Well, I know our, our time is short, but I just thought I'd mention, I do, you know, I think it's very important in a relationship to uh, one of your assumptions dealt with speaking up in the relationship. Because I think any relationship, no matter how much it's the right fit, as the years progress, the two people have to continually adjust it to keep it in the right fit. It's almost like adjusting it back to the right fit because it will drift. Things sort of drift. And um, Well, I think it's the same thing with friendships Yeah. Um, because yeah. a good portion of your marriage um, should be friendship. And, mm-hmm. in fact, I think in the marriages that are right fits that friendship is a major component of that. Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Good. Um, I just wanted to ask you one quick question because I know that when you and Amy married, she had a son, mm-hmm. and that you, the the son, Christopher, had asked whether his last name would be your last name. And what did you tell him? Well, um, this was just after we had married, and... Um and Amy, my new wife, was in the process of changing her papers and her Social Security card and et cetera to have my last name. And so he saw all this going on, and he came up to me, and he, was, um, he had just turned 10, so he was still a little kid, and he said, so what about my name? Is my name going to be changed to Holder? And I said, well, Christopher, that, that can happen. And I went on to explain to him that what that would mean would be that I would adopt him and that then I would not be his stepfather, I would be his father, and his name would be Holder. And that I would like to do that, because when we think back about what right fit for me as a family, I really didn't want to be a stepfather. I was hoping that we could make this fit so that I would be his adoptive father, but that's not something you can push you know you have to the child has to be ready for it too because he wasn't a baby so right right he, had, he was involved in it it had to be the right fit for him right but tell us what happened because he came to you one day and what did he say Virgil well a couple months later he came to me and he said it was out of the blue he said I've been thinking about it and I've decided I want you to adopt me so I said, well, I will call the attorney today. We will get this started. And I bet you were thrilled. I was thrilled, and it's worked out very well. He's 
I'm very, very proud to have him as my son. And he's now how old, Virgil? He's 26. Wow. Of course, you're still 20, right? I'm still 20. I may be, I may be 25. <laughs> well, I have to say it's been delightful having you with my, as my co-host. Yes, I've enjoyed it, Arlene. To listen to more Win Without Competing shows, I recommend my top 10 2009 shows. They are listed on the winwithoutcompeting.com site. Again, that's winwithoutcompeting.com. If you go to that site, you would then click on author and then click on the talk show host page. Note that these shows are listed in order of appearance. They are not ranked. While you are on the WIN site, I suggest visiting the homepage and signing up for my personal and professional newsletters. I would love to hear from my listeners. Please email drbarrow at winwithoutcompeting.com. That's Dr. Barrow, D-R-B-A-R-R-O, at winwithoutcompeting.com, or call 310-441-5305. 310-441-5305. To learn more about the Right Fit Method, my book, Win Without Competing, and me as a professional speaker, visit winwithoutcompeting.com. For information about professional mentoring and personal mentoring, visit drbarrow.com. That's drbarrow.com. And for executive search services, barrowglobal.com. That's b-a-r-r-o-g-l-o-b-a-l.com. Remember this trigger tip. Walk down the right fit road and you will find professional success and personal happiness. Thank you for listening to the Win Without Competing show. Goodbye for now, Dr. Arlene. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.